not only is he a genius like that, but we're also young. So they come in, he orders them. He gets soldering paste from Home Depot, puts it on the board, yeah. uh, puts all the components on there, and then throws the it in our toaster oven. Yeah. Which that's not how you do that. So it didn't even... <laughs> it, it did work. It actually did. I want to point that out. No, the first time we used a hot plate... <laughs> We used a hot plate. We set the PCB on there with oh, yeah, it was Home Depot solder paste. Right? Yeah. And I want to point out that a lot of these components are like a sixteenth the size of a grain of rice. And we had to use tweezers. I had to use tweezers to put these components on there. But um, the hot plate, we set the board on the hot plate. Most of the components soldered down, but it wouldn't work. So I'm like, dang, I can't figure this out. I yeah, sit there for two hours. Yeah, I mean, I sat there for two hours. I couldn't figure it out. Sure enough, I'm like, you know what? Forget this. And I throw it in the toaster oven at like 350 <laughs> degrees. And I'm like, solder, right? And pull it out and it worked. My guests today are the founders of Chaos Audio. We've got Landon McCoy and Armis Sunday here. They are both electrical engineering students at Florida State University. Landon founded Chaos Audio in August 2019, and together they've been working hard at this on Stratus, their first product ever since 2019 when they when they started. Stratus is an all-in-one pedal for guitarists. If you don't know what a guitar pedal is, it's what guitarists use to switch the effects while they're playing. So imagine you're at a concert and you know the song starts off kind of quiet, maybe with like a clean sound to it, and then you know. As they start rocking out, it gets kind of crunchy and distorted. A guitarist will typically use like a pedal that they'll stomp on to, to switch that effect while they're playing. Stratus is a major innovation in this space, which I can tell you firsthand as a guitarist, because it reduces all of those pedals into one switch that you can control with your phone. And I'm going to let them describe the details of how it works and what effects they have, but that's the basic premise. So there's some background here. At the time of recording, they're halfway to hitting their goal of raising a 25K that they need on Kickstarter. So make sure you go check it out. I'm sure this is what they're using to, you know, kickstart their project. And it's a really cool product guys. If you're a guitarist, you'll appreciate it. If you're just an entrepreneur, you'll appreciate the fact that these are young guys that are just doing something awesome and new and innovating in their space and their, their college. You know, it's quite impressive. So you can donate to their Kickstarter at tinyurl.com slash chaos Kickstarter. That'll redirect you to their Kickstarter page and uh, please donate so they can get this off the ground. So I'm assuming at least one of you is a guitar player. Yeah. Yeah, um, I am a, a little bit, moderately. I would, I would consider myself like beginner, if not like somewhat intermediate. Uh, my brother's actually better than I am, but uh, we both had the idea when we first got into audio effects uh, to make this. Um, but a little bit, yeah. Okay. How long have you been playing, would you say? Uh, probably just a few years. It hasn't been consistent. It's been on and off. I'm kind of sad, actually, because I want to practice more, but it's just been so time consuming running uh, you know, the business side of everything, yeah. um, the Kickstarter and, and such. But I definitely want to get back into it more later on. Um, really, you know, my primary objective, though, is just to understand it enough to know what guitarists are going to want. Uh, in this uh, in this product. So. Well, I've been playing for 12 years and I can tell you, you pretty much nailed it. When I saw your Kickstarter video, man, I was I was so excited. I can't wait to get my hands on one of those. So tell me, like, what, what gave you the idea for this? So um, the, the very first effect that I was interested in was the Big Muff by Witcher Harmonics. Um, my brother got a, a Boss Distortion. I can't remember. I think it's the DS1. And it was 50 bucks, right? But that was the first pedal that we had experimented with when we first got into electric guitar. Um, and then after that, I got really into Smashing Pumpkins and I wanted that Siamese Dream album sound. So I went to the music store and spent a hundred bucks on a Big Muff pedal. Um, and after getting interested in that with the, uh, the interest in engineering as well, we kind of thought to ourselves, you know, how hard would it be to make a guitar pedal? And then from there, it just kind of evolved, right? We started with the analog and then we said, you know, what if we put all of these effects in a single pedal and let you build out entire pedal boards? On a pedal, so the whole thing has just been a constant evolution and pivoting, um, you know, changing the the product idea to something that 
is more practical and reasonable. Um, but that's kind of where it started is that initial you know, effect that, that got me interested in that big map. Interesting. So it's no longer just one effect, right? You, you've got a library that people can select from on exactly. their phone. Yeah. And you can chain multiples of those effects together too. So I think um, at one point I might be wrong, but for example, with Smashing Pumpkins, um, I believe in some of their tracks, they had two big muffs lined up and they had the tone knob set to one third of the way on the first effect and the tone knob set to two thirds of the way on the second. And you can do that with this. You can take two of the same effects if you want to and put them in your chain um, or, you know, up to five different effects with your reverb at the end, maybe a, a gain in the, the beginning. I'll put some drive and some uh, clean effects in there, like phasers and whatnot. But you know, anything you can think of is, is what we're shooting for uh, for the pedalboard interface. And it's not just effects, right? It, does it, it loops as well? It does. Yes, I'm actually I'm, I'm working on some of the looper functionality, or I was right before this uh, this podcast too. Um, but it's going to be right here in the stop switch or above the stop switch button in the uh, the knob here. So this knob actually functions as a one button looper as well, similar to like a ditto looper. Okay. So would you do that with your finger or with your foot? You do that with your foot. Um, you click cool. that just like you would the stomp switch, the regular stomp switch. So this knob clicks like a button, and that's what you use for the looper. Sweet. I was worried when I saw that because I thought like, okay, how am I going to use my hand? And <laughs> so I'm glad, I'm glad it's with your foot. That's cool. Um, tell me the story. I want to talk more about this product, but I, I'm sure everyone else wants to hear, you know, how you how you started this. You know, you're in college. It's really hard to start a business in college. Uh, I know done it. So tell me the story. How did you start Chaos Audio? How did you get the idea for the pedal? Tell me how you know it, it progressed into what it is now. So um, it's funny because I feel like it's kind of that cliche story of it never started as a, a business idea, right? So um, I had an interest in electrical engineering already. And so after my brother and I you know, were, were curious as to how difficult it would be to make something like this, make a digital effects pedal, uh, we started working on just an Arduino-based prototype, and from there, you know, people were telling us, you know, this is a really cool idea. This is, you know, really neat. Uh, this idea that you have for this app-connected, um, you know, pedal board platform, right? And that's when, uh, you know, we decided to go to the University of West Florida Da Vinci Innovation Celebration. So that is an entrepreneurship competition, you know, geared around, uh, you know, kind of showcasing your your business idea. It's kind of one of those classic entrepreneurship co competitions, um, but. Uh, you know, one thing I wanted to point out, though, is, is the reason that we ended up getting first place at that competition was because, you know, if you have an idea, people might view you here. But if you can execute on, on that idea, right, their perception of you is going to be a lot higher. Um, and that's kind of what we relied on is we went to this competition. We had made this pedal. So it was very basic. It was horrible. Like it didn't work great. Right. It was uh, essentially just a proof of concept. I mean, it didn't sound great. The interface was decent, right? But again, it was just to kind of showcase, you know, how would this work in theory with a physical device? Um, so we 3D printed that enclosure. We used Arduino and did the software ourselves. We made an Android app ourselves. It took like three months of development. I'm just pouring time wow. into this with uh, the limited resources that we had. Um, but sure enough, you know, we, uh, we went to the competition with a functional prototype and people were just astounded. I mean, we had people picking up the guitar and just shredding it on the guitar. You know, the, the judges couldn't help but be amazed at the fact that we had a working prototype. And uh, we took the funding. We, we won about $1,750 from that competition. Um, and from there, we just, you know, tried to scale. I mean, when you're working on limited funding, there's really not that much, right? So you have to be really smart. Right. So I drove to Mobile, Alabama to buy a $400 iMac so we could start work on iOS software development. But, uh, you know... Really what got us to the point where we're at now is, is coming here to Tech Farms. So Tech Farms is a, a startup incubator in Panama City, Florida. Um, and just on a whim, I, I cold 
emailed tech farms and I was like, yo, we have this idea. You know, we've gotten a lot of attention for it. And sure enough, the, the CEO of Tech Farms emailed us back and, and wanted to set up a meeting. From there, we got a seed investment and some space here at Tech Farms. Uh, we use that funding to outsource our app development for both Android and iOS uh, to another nice. company here at Tech Farms, Technica. That's that's the name of the company. And uh, from there, we just kept working on the product until uh, we got to the point where we are today. I mean, we had to go through so many different pivots. We went through development platform after development platform, you know, until we finally found the perfect one that matched our needs. And from there, it was just, I mean, honestly, it was Googling. Uh, we didn't know how to do any of this previously. So that's the one thing that I really want to hammer down in a story like this is, one, it's connections. Connections are key. You know, the whole saying is not what you know, it's who you know, definitely holds true because we would not be here without all the different people involved at Tech Farms, without Technica and Steve Millaway, the owner of Tech Farms, right? Uh, it took a, a bunch of people to make this happen. And then, you know, just making sure that time is put in to learn, you know, just being open to learning new things is important. And that's, you know, that's the reason we're, where we're at today is just uh, the combination of those two traits. So when did the Kickstarter come in? Like, how did you get come to the decision to do that? So we came to the decision to launch a Kickstarter campaign because uh, we felt that that was a really good way to kind of test market reaction. Um, because, you know, you can have an idea, you can make the product, but on top of getting the funding, Kickstarter is a great way to kind of gauge people's reaction in the market to your idea. So, you know, we were planning on launching a Kickstarter campaign for several, several months. Kickstarter is not one of those things if you want to launch a, a successful campaign that you just launch on a whim. Like it has to be calculated, it has to be planned out. You have to have somewhat of a small-ish community at least before you launch your campaign. So that's what we worked on simultaneously while developing this prototype that you see here. And we got 14 more prototypes on the way as well. But you know, that's awesome. That's, that's I, I think, you know, it was like April when we decided to launch. And uh, originally we planned for an August launch. We had to push it back then September, then October, and eventually we landed on November because that's finally when we got our app and our pedal functional enough to the point that it was well beyond a minimum viable product. I mean, we've already surpassed that now. Um, we have a fully functional pedal board interface and we thought that that was necessary to kind of, you know, use that excitement and that awe of being beyond the MVP stage uh, to draw people in and show them that this is legit, like this already works. We're, we're past the figuring it out stage. Now we need to go to production. And that's, you know, it's kind of the story behind the Kickstarter campaign. Well, that's wickedly impressive. Uh, so when you started with this incubator, I mean, you went from being engineering students to being entrepreneurs. What what was that transition like? What were some of the challenges? Like, how did you how did you find yourself adjusting to this new environment? So it's it's pretty funny because um, uh, we've talked about this recently. We've kind of had to go from that garage, you know, development mentality to we have to operate as a as a company now. Right. And that's, I feel like that's been one of the hardest transitions is, you know, we've been here goofing off at tech farms, like we'll stay up, you know, late nights, um, you know, and oftentimes we view each other more as friends than co-founders or, you know, coworkers, but sometimes that, that creates problems. And that's one of the things that we've had to address recently as well. Right. Um, so, you know, doing things like handling organizational um, aspects, you know, having executive meetings, just recently, we've established the need for like a code of conduct and rules and procedures, things of that nature, just to really make sure that we operate as professionally as possible um, and stay on track. Uh, me personally, I'm not very organized. Um, Armis is vastly more organized than I am. And so, you know, he's, he's handled um, a lot of the communications back and forth with major people that have wanted to check this out. Um, and that's what he's been, you know, 
just hammering into me is like, we got we to stay organized. We're going to be organized. And that's, that's the issue that I personally at least had the most, but that, and also just that transition of going from we're a group of friends goofing off to we're running a company. We got to stay professional and organized. Yeah. To give you, to give you some context, sort of, sort of on the story, I met Landon in differential equations class and he had me come by the office uh, to check it out. Cause we had just been studying together and he's like, Hey, I have this really cool idea, blah, blah, blah. But like, he just, he threw it at me. And so I came by here and I walk in, it's like 9 p.m. There's one dude, Cameron, with no shoes on, uh, just hanging out. And then Robert is like doing some CAD design on the computer. Landon brings me in. Like I say hi to him. I find out like Robert and Cameron sleep here most of the nights. So they yeah. like, they live kind of far away. So they sleep sort of at the office, just in cots under our desks. And they've been doing that for a long time yeah. now. But yeah, it was like, it was as wild as you can believe it. And then Corona was crazy. So I, I didn't come on until I think February of last year. And that was sort of right before we decided like, hey, Kickstarter needs to be a thing. Mm -hmm. And so if you can picture it, that gives us like the whole summer to plan out our Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. And we still feel like there's stuff <clears throat> we could have hit the target a little bit better when it comes to prepping for that campaign. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We've just, Kickstarter is, is a whole different beast. How did you plan for it? I've, I've never been a part of anything like that. So we basically just did our own research. Landon would research stuff. I would listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. I would read blogs. Um, and there's sort of like a formula that's pretty basic. It's like build a mailing list, a mailing subscriber list, uh, create a community if you can beforehand. Um, try to create like a like a little focus group or you know a group of trusted influencers that are on your side before you launch. And you sort of get all these things running so that way when you launch, you can get all that momentum like going in the right direction on launch day because preferably you want to raise like 30% on launch yeah. day. And I think we hit 20, which is, you know, great, but we wanted to hit 30. But even then, like, um, so I, I ended up falling into the marketing role, even though I'm an electrical engineer and, you know, I, I don't really have any expertise in that area. So again, it was just a bunch of guys trying yeah. to figure out how to do things with online resources, consulting actual professionals. So we tried to hit all those same points and make sure that we were setting ourselves up for success. Mm -hmm. And then hindsight is always 2020. We're like, we needed to have this, you know, a little bit further along before we yeah. launched. Cause now we're in the middle of the launch and we want to send out these influencer units and like time is like, you know, on our, sh like weighing yeah. down on us. And we're like, we got to get this stuff out. But so there's a lot of planning that goes into it when it's just, and when it's just five guys trying to do it all, you know, stuff slips through the cracks and we have to be very organized and very methodical about what we're doing. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, and, and let alone the Kickstarter was a learning experience. The whole thing has been a learning experience. So I kind of want to just drive that home too is um, we've had zero previous experience with any of this. So it's been a, just a learning process the entire time, including with the Kickstarter campaign. Another thing I want to note, just again, reaching out to people is what helped us. We reached out to a bunch of different Kickstarter campaigns that have been successful. Milo is a, is a very cool campaign that's live now. They raised over a million dollars and they got back to me and, and said that we could set up a Zoom call and they would go over their practices that they use to raise that money. Um, Peak Design has launched, I think, eight over a million dollar campaigns now and they got back to us and gave us tips uh, for marketing, how to handle your email list. Uh, so it's, you know, it's pretty crazy because oftentimes people are going to be willing to help you out if you, if you take the time to reach out to them and that's kind of what it's been like for us is that's the only reason we've gathered the information we've had is people have been, you know, uh, willing to, to kind of help us out and share that information with us just in their specific fields. 
That's so interesting. And one of the things that you said that I want to that I want to stay on is like you mentioned building a community and using influencers, existing communities. Where did you build a community? Like where 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 can people find that community? And are you reaching out to places like Reddit threads for guitarists and stuff like that? Like that, that'd be my first instinct. Like what what does that look like for you guys? It's a complicated answer. I think we did a good job of reaching influencers in general to create sort of that core group of mm-hmm. people that are behind the company. That was really mm. one of the things that we finally felt like we did something right is one day I just, I got in contact with Daniel Donato, who's in our Kickstarter video. And we had been emailing back and forth and basically Landon had let me know. He showed me the title. He's like, Hey dude, this thing's ready to go. Like it's ready to go. And so I emailed Daniel and I said, Hey, we're going to drive up to Nashville next week. Are you busy? And he was like, Nope, not at all. And so we literally rented a car, drove up to Nashville. Uh, showed up. I kind of coordinated with a music store up there, got like a little demo going. And that was the first time we got it in front of him. And he was like, this is awesome. Because yeah. he's uh, also a musician, uh, super into tech. So we really, I think we did a good job. And that was just not being afraid of hearing no. Yeah. And I know this is sort of, this is an entrepreneurial podcast. Um, I will say one of the things we always say, we think we got lucky, but people are kind of willing to help out college students. I'm not going to like, it's not, I'm not saying that we get a little bit of an extra edge, but we just aren't afraid of hearing no. So we've messaged so many people and heard no so many yeah. times. But the other side of that coin is that we've had people say, hey, this is awesome. We like what you're doing. Like we love seeing young people do stuff like this. Let us help you out. Yeah. So we did a good job of building um, sort of a, a group of influencers that are interested in our product. And we're actually shortly sending them out alpha testing units. Um, building that Facebook community, sort of building that online community, that is probably somewhere we could have done a yeah. better job. That it's hard, man. That's the only way I can I can describe oh, it. Yeah. One, you need someone constantly making content, and then you also need someone constantly posting that content and engaging with that community. Yeah. And you'll find out if you ever if anybody ever does this on Facebook, people on Facebook kind of just like to tear stuff down. Like, you know, not in a mean way, but there's a lot of critiques out there. So it, it we have not actually done a very good job of creating that core group because one of our Kickstarters we reached out to for advice. Talk a little bit about that. Was that Soundbrenner that had the four thousand? Soundbrenner, yeah, Soundbrenner was. They had four thousand, right? Yeah. People, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, four thousand, yeah. yeah. So they had a, a group of four thousand on Facebook that were super engaged in their project or product. As soon as they mm-hmm. launched their Kickstarter, they almost met their goal immediately because yep. that group was so closely knit with the actual company. We were not really able to do that, and part of that was struggling to create content on our own and struggling to like manage our Facebook page, yeah. struggling to stay active on Reddit and stuff like that which I think kind of comes back to being a small team. And you know, you can only, you can only put so much into each bucket of like what your responsibilities are and what you're doing. Yeah, you know, we definitely could have improved in that aspect. Uh, we do, we, de- we did kind of focus on our Instagram page. So we're up to uh, about 1,150 followers there. Um, nice. And you know, at least having somewhat of a small community helped drastically when we had that launch button on the Kickstarter campaign. Um, so, you know, ultimately with, with Kickstarters, if you can build a community, Prior to launching that campaign, you know, the larger the community that you have, the more initial backing you'll get as soon as you hit that launch button. Especially if you get people excited and hyped up about that launch, um, you know, that's that's really the most successful way you can launch a, a Kickstarter campaign. Just in hindsight, as well, including you know, yeah. kind of the little bit of a community we had. What about when you joined the startup incubator? Like, did they did they change the way you were doing things at all? I know you mentioned that you know you guys as a team had to 
collaborate and come up with some how you guys wanted to conduct yourselves and how you wanted to do things. But did the startup incubator kind of say, hey, you guys should be doing it this way? I've never really met anybody who's worked with a startup incubator. So I'd love to hear what that process is like. So so it's it's pretty interesting um, because there are obviously, you know, rules and procedures here at, at Tech Farms, but I feel like it's a double-edged sword in, in a sense, right? So hmm. like with a lot of freedom and flexibility, sometimes we'll goof off too much or we'll, you know, we'll need to handle things more professionally. But at the same time, that gives us a lot of flexibility. I mean, we have 24-hour key card access. So, you know, we can come at 3 o'clock in the morning if we want to and work on stuff, right? Um, we have access to all of this equipment that's available. Um, and we're very close to the people here at Tech Farms, um, just that core team, um, including Steve as well, that seed investor. But, um, you know, we, we've kind of had to listen to feedback from them, not necessarily them saying, you know, this is how you should conduct yourself as a company, right? But more so almost like uh, situations that arise, we learn from those and then address it moving forward, if that makes sense. Like it wasn't really like a, hey, you guys should do it this way. It was a more so a, you know, we learned how to mesh well with everybody here and, and kind of address those those issues um, as they come and, and keep them from happening moving forward. Um, but, uh, you know, in regards to company organizational structure, um, Steve has been a huge help with that. I mean, he, uh, he started uh, Game Technologies. He was the founder of Game Technologies, which invented the chip for USB 2.0. Um, so, uh, you know, he has a lot of experience wow. with uh, technology companies, um, you know, and uh, his company also invented the or they deployed the first uh, precursor to Wi-Fi. So the first wireless data transmission. Um, Whoa. So it's, it's pretty crazy that uh, that, you know, people like him who have that experience are here that we can reference. And that's where he's really helped us on the business side of things is, you know, hey, you need a solid um, operating agreement. You need to make sure you handle investments properly. Like we can help you handle those agreements, right? Uh, with the attorneys and everything. Um, you know, he explained how the uh, equity side of things works on the company level. Like how do you handle equity dis distribution and, and whatnot, right? But in terms of how we actually develop the product and work on the company, um, image and brand and everything, you know, from a marketing and business and really development perspective, yeah. it's really just us. Like we really just have to kind of take things as they, they come and, and learn from. You yeah, know, they, they really just tech farms. Like when I walked into tech farms, when I look at the company and like look at what they have here, tech farms kind of just has a big bucket of resources. Yeah. And like they said to Chaos Audio, they're like, here you go, like do with it. You know what I mean? It's not, it's a, it's a startup huh. incubator or tech incubator in the fact that you have access to all these resources. It's not so much that they um, are guiding you through the processes. You know what I mean? On that, that responsibility kind yeah. of lies on the company. It's mm -hmm. just, it's really, you'll get out of it what you put into it yep. kind of situation. Interesting. That sounds like a pretty, pretty sweet deal, actually. Uh, it, to be honest with you. That, uh, what you're talking about, you know, you guys had to divide up the tasks yourselves and, you know, create your own processes. Um, how did you kind of go about dividing up who was going to have what role on the team? Did you give yourselves titles like I'm CEO, I'm CFO, like I know a lot of teams do, or did you just say, hey, we're all in this together, flat org chart, let's just make it happen? So it's kind of a balance between both of those uh, those methods, right? So we, we have roles, um, you know, Armis is the head of marketing, right? The CMO, right? I'm the CEO. Uh, we had a, a CTO and a uh, CPO, CFO, right? So those, those financial and production and technical mm -hmm. roles, right? They are filled, but I view it more as, you know, people have their specific roles here, but they all are intertwined because we all have to help each other out in different aspects, right? So for example, um, you know, uh, I'll use, uh, I'll use Cameron, right? So Cameron handles the financial um, side of things and organizational side of things, right? But when there's not a lot of tasking in that front, 
he'll reach into other aspects and help. Like for example, he's been helping with marketing by reaching out to people on our email list, reaching out to people on the text list, right? Um, you know, so it's, it's more so that everybody has a hand in everything, but it's like 80% is their role and the other 20% of the work that they do is split up in the other aspects, if that makes sense. Um, and it kind of just yeah, developed does. naturally. It's like where a need was, somebody filled it, people kind of just, you know, evolved in their specific roles and then continued to help each other out as uh, on an as needed basis. How, how did you find your team? Like was... Is this the team that you had that project with in your in your class, or is this a uh, the school project? I don't know if it was for a class, but the uh, the school project, or did it come uh, come together after that? Over time, people kind of just kept you know coming, right? So uh, Robert Compstein joined um, while I was still at Gulf Coast State College. I asked him because he was interested in the mechanical side of things, whereas I was electrical. So I thought you know maybe I could do the electronics and he can help with the mechanical side and handle the three D printing and the design, right? Um, his friend Cameron Jones. Uh, who I've mentioned, you know, Robert was like, hey, I have a friend. His name is Cameron. He's interested in watchmaking and mechanical side of things, right? So um, Robert was like, hey, can Cameron check it out? And you think he'd be able to help? And, you know, we were like, sure, why not, right? And then um, so, you know, that was uh, that was the core there. And then um, Armas came on early that next year when we started the next semester because we had differential equations together and linear algebra. And uh, I can't remember the story you always tell at the coffee stand right like i can't remember i think it was the first time we interacted as we were like at the the coffee yeah. area i at, just i talk a lot i just talk a lot yeah. and one time landon and i got to talking and he I, it's funny this is kind of feeds into the business too is a lot of times he was this crazy kid with this crazy idea about pedals you know what i mean and like he kind of had this reputation for that in the call in our little at the state college and at fsu because like you know, it wasn't big yet. Nobody really believed it. You know, no. like, oh, he's over there. And mm -hmm. so he kind of pitched it to me super timidly. And I was like, dude, that sounds cool. Like, uh, let me check it out. And he was like, oh, okay. And that wasn't usually the kind of reaction he would get because no. people, you know, we're all like, we all have time constraints. And now, you know, we haven't made it or anything, but like we've made some pretty big steps. Like we've mm -hmm. launched a Kickstarter. We're backed by a venture capital fund. Like we're moving along and now people, you know, are a little bit more receptive yeah. to us being a company where I, whereas I don't think that was the case early on, but I had just moved here. I just moved to Bay County. I wasn't really doing much and it sounded like a cool idea. So I was like, yeah, I'll check it out. And then again, it's like people just kind of fell into the role they best, mm -hmm. they best fit. Landon was like, you're good at talking to people. You used to be a business major. He's like, why don't you start helping out with marketing and with this and that? And then, yeah, it was kind of natural from that yeah. point. And one thing I want to add on to that is this is a little off topic, but I just really want to drive this home. Like from a, a business standpoint, you know, opportunities wise, I feel like the most important trait you could possibly have if you want to be successful is being receptive to new opportunities. I think, you know, if, if you're presented with something, just being open to learning more about it and, you know, talking it through, right? Um, that's why I was so excited when Armas wanted to help with this, right? Is, is, you know, that's why we're at where we're at is because, you know, it's really important to learn, you know, how to recognize opportunities and take advantage of them. Um, and that's just something I wanted to drive home is I think that that's, you know, that's the reason we're here um, where we are now is is that trait. Uh, but anyway, so. Yeah, I think you certainly did take advantage of some great opportunities. A lot of people would have just won that prize money and been like, sweet, that's beer for a month or, you know, whatever. But you guys, you saw that as like, okay, this is the beginning of something new. And you use that as the beginning of your momentum. And I think that's quite admirable. One thing you said that I want to go back to is you're using your Kickstarter as kind of some market validation. 
not necessarily as the, the key reason being for funding. What other validation have you done? What have you seen any 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 gotten any feedback from anybody using it yet? What uh, what do you think? Um, yeah, so we've got a lot of uh, preliminary feedback from musicians. So there's a lot of local musicians that have come in. We've kind of had people just cycling through tech farms using the the prototype in its current stage when they come in. Um, you know, people have uh, feedback, they have thoughts on it, but overall, it's been positive. Um, you know, overall, most people that use this themselves in person, they, they love the interface, they said it's very easy to use, they said it sounds great. Um, and then we take some of the, the bits of feedback that they have and try and, and incorporate it when we can. For example, that's where the looper came from. Somebody asked about having a looper in the pedal. Um, and we said, you know what, that's a, that's a great idea, let's do it, right? So, um, you know, we had a lot of that pre-Kickstarter validation for the idea even you know especially mm -hmm. from people like daniel donato and other larger musicians that at least looked at the idea itself checked out the uh the videos that we had and the uh, website they would provide some of their feedback and thoughts but um you know really this is just larger scale market validation as well as we are still going to need to use the funds from the kickstarter um you know we we want to take this right. to production and the more units that we sell the lower the tooling cost is going to be uh, which drives that manufacturing price down on a per unit cost level, right? Which makes it easier for us to also charge less to people too for the product. Um, and that's what we want to use, uh, you know, the largest chunk of this funding for is to help with the tooling costs and, and such for production. Um, so, but it's, it's kind of just both. It's, it goes hand in hand. It's like, you know, market validation for the Kickstarter, but also for going to production. It's kind of like a, you know, a, Two, two birds, one stone situation. Yeah. And to add on to that a little bit, you know, consumer behavior is, it's, you know, you can like estimate it, but you can't really like guarantee anything. Some more, because the Kickstarter was important to see, you know, how will the public react to this? Yeah. Do they actually want it? Do they need it? Because that's, that's, that's the most important question. We've had like, I won't name any names, but we just recently had a call with a retailer, a music retailer in Florida. And basically the call started off and this sort of goes in with like testing how people feel about the product. He started off and he said, so I'm not sold. I've seen so many things like this. I've been in the industry since the 60s. He's like, why is this not going to fail just like X and X and X failed 20 years yeah. ago or 10 years ago? And we just had like an hour-long Zoom call, told him about all the features, all this, all that, showed him how it worked. And by the end of the, the call, he basically said, well, he's like, I'm going to retail for you guys eventually. He's like, I'm not sure when because I don't know when you'll get to that point. And it's not like he means he's going to buy a hundred of them. You know what I mean? But he wants to buy five or 10 yeah. and see how they perform in his, in his stores. And I think a lot of that has to do with where he sees when we communicate our plan for the future. That's really where people get yeah. really excited about chaos audio and about the Stratus in general. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't really stop here. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're not trying to do a, like a, a one hit wonder type deal. Yeah. Like this is sort of the building block for the future yeah. of chaos audio for this company. So tell me, what, what is the future? What, what do you see coming uh, for Chaos and for Stratus? Um, so really what we want to build is an ecosystem and a platform. So instead of um, you know, just stopping at this one pedal, right? we want this to tie into a variety of other software and hardware additions. Um, so you know, first of all, software is a huge part of this. Um, we have an online platform of effects and you know, with a lot of multi-effects pedals, uh, they will, you know, you'll be locked into the effects that come on that platform that that company makes. What we would like to do is provide the hardware and then through the app, you'd be able to download new effects as they're added to the store on a weekly, you know, bi-weekly basis and continue to That's experiment sweet. with your sound. So you never are locked in with the very set. It's almost like Apple's app store, but for audio effects. 
Um, so Dude. we would start off initially <laughs> making them ourselves, right? But what we would really like to do is partner with artists and other audio effects brands, um, and it'd be a mutual benefit situation. So it's looking like it's probably going to be 50-50. So 50% of the effects that we upload would be free. So people can continue to get new effects without having to spend extra money. But the other 50% would be premium effects. And that's where the artist um, partnerships and the other brand partnerships would come in. So you look at something like the Electroharmonics Big Muff. Um, who's to say that this platform doesn't get large enough for them to view this as a revenue stream for them, right? So they could say, you know what? We're going to make a Big Muff by Electroharmonics. It's going to have the little check mark next to their name. It's going to have the trade uh, or it's going to have the logo. It's going to have the same design. It's going to sound exactly the same. And, you know, maybe they charge $4.99 or $9.99 for it instead of $90. Um, and they would get the vast majority of that income, right? Um, so that's where we would like to expand on the audio effects side of things, as well as through firmware updates uh, from a software standpoint. Uh, we want you to be able to go into the app and hit the update firmware button on this pedal. We want this pedal to be like a smartphone in that it, it gets regular software updates. Because later on down the road, we can say, you know, we want to put a learn to play feature in there. Right? So we want people to be able to use this pedal to learn how to play songs on the guitar with the app. And we would be able to push out a firmware update that lets them do that. Um, so just having that ability is, is killer as well. Um, that's, that's really the focus for the, the software side of things. Yeah. And then for the hardware, that's where we're also very excited. Um, you know, this, this hardware for the Stratus would tie into future modular wireless controllers. So what we want to do is we want to make like a five-button switchboard to start off with that guitarists could get, connect to the app at the same time as the Stratus, and now they have physical control over the five effects in their chain without having to use the app. That would allow them to replace their pedal board that they use at live gigs, and it would be the most portable, um, the most versatile setup that you could get for bar and restaurant gigging um, if you're trying to replace that pedal board. And then any other controller you can think of over Bluetooth, it's possible. So if we want to use a smartwatch and have a smartwatch app where you can like flick your wrist to change presets, we could do that. Or you know, um, an yeah. expression style. Yeah, right. We have some cool ideas, but since this is actually a podcast, oh, and we haven't yeah. actually like patented them. Like Landon has ideas that there's nothing like it, and it's basically it's an expression tool. You know what I mean? Well, so I like, haven't talked about I haven't talked about the thing that we really should patent before we before we disclose it. So I'm not going to bring that up. Yeah. This, but the expression okay. controller and the switchboard, um, those are included in our our, our pending patents with uh, with the Stratus because we made sure that that wasn't mentioned. But we do have some really cool ideas for controllers and ways of interacting with your effects that haven't been done before. Yeah, but um, the the possibilities really for the future for for working with artists. Uh, not only that, that's another big one we want yeah. to do is like name you know your favorite guitarist or you know the lead guitarist of your favorite band. Do they have a tone you know that they really like the dial yeah. and that they feel communication mm. who they are as an artist. Then they partner with us, and yep. we kind of we did like a mock up with Daniel Donato, who's a cosmic country player. So it's very twangy kind of country, cosmicy, where we put his uh, album art on the pedal, and then we had like three parameters on there. It was like twang something and something. But basically, in that pedal, we would create, we would put in the effects yep. that he usually uses in his uh, preset or in his patch. You know what I mean? And it would all be through one pedal. And basically, for the consumer, it would be. Cosmic Country by Daniel Donato. I pay four bucks for this yeah. pedal. I get to sound exactly like Daniel Donato. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's a, that's similar to the like electro electroharmonics thing he was talking about. But that's where we're partnering with artists yeah. to where they get to create their own effect, mm -hmm. and that their fans get to connect with them through mm -hmm. that effect. You know what I mean? Uh, you guys are giving me chills. This is so cool. 
the idea of me being able to go into the app store and just download Jimi Hendrix yeah, and then yeah, I exactly. sound like purple, like I'm playing Purple Haze, like that's that's the coolest thing in the world. The the multi-pedal switchboard, when that comes out, you're imagining that you're going to be able to program all five of them with different sets of effects. Yep. But, you know, obviously that's not that's not going to be the first thing that you guys create. What uh, you mentioned something earlier, maybe I misheard it, but I thought you said something about like having a set of, of effects on the same pedal. Did I understand that correctly, or did I am I misunderstanding? So, so like an earlier? effects chain, like five effects chained together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you, know you, can you can do that now on this pedal. Yeah. Walk me through what that's like as a guitarist. Yeah, so the process, basically, like how he would set it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, so essentially, you would go and you would download the app. You would connect to the Stratus, and then you have your library of audio effects. So the pedal board interface is very simple. You tap the plus button where you want an effect. You select which effect you want. And then it adds it to your chain and you can hear it in real time changing on the stratus um so you know you could chain together a series of effects you could have a gain pedal going into an overdrive going into a phaser going into a reverb right and you'd be able to adjust the knobs on each of those pedals through the app and hear the change in real time so you have complete control over the order of those effects for example if you want to put the phaser before the overdrive rather than after you can do that right through the app um, and it's very simple that's what we focused on is the easiest to use interface we could imagine um, that's somewhat modeled after a traditional pedal board chain. Uh, that way, you know, people can jump into this app and they already know how it works. They already know how to chain those effects together, you know, adjust the knob, change the way that it sounds with the different parameters. Um, and so it's as easy as that, just chaining your effects together and now you have the sound on the Stratus. And all the audio processing is done on the pedal itself, not on the phone. The phone just acts as a controller. So you have really low latency audio. Um, and, you know, so we're super excited about that. How does the phone connect to the pedal? Is it Bluetooth? It's just over Bluetooth. Um, so, uh, you know, you just go right to the app, you select Chaos Stratus in the devices list and it connects. And we're using Bluetooth low energy. So we had to make a custom Bluetooth protocol that handles the data transmission. Um, but it works on both Android and iOS currently. You guys keep blowing my mind with everything you say. <laughs> so how hard was this to, to build? Like, I can't, I imagine that just the engineering here must have just been brutal, man. It was, uh, it's, it's been fairly brutal. You know, we had to combine. What's been harder, hardware or software? Honestly, it's probably both. Well, we designed the electronics ourselves. So we actually designed the printed circuit board in-house. We had to program all the different components um, that was manufactured elsewhere and then shipped here. And then Robert handled the design of the mechanical enclosure. So, you know, we have that unique kind of incline design. Um, yes, it looks like a doorstop, but, you know, it still looks cool. Um, and, uh, you know, he had to come up with the design for that. And Tech Farms has the equipment here, like CNC mills, to machine these enclosures out of solid blocks of aluminum. Um, then we got them anodized and laser etched. Um, you know, from a mechanical standpoint, we had to come up with a custom switch design, too, that would interface with the electronics. And so Robert did a stellar job at that. But really, I would say both were equally difficult. Mass production-wise, though, definitely the mechanical side of things is, is more complex than the electronic side. It's a lot easier to take um, you know, electronics hardware to mass production than the mechanical side of things, where you have to have die-cast molds and CNC parts and injection-molded plastic parts. You know, But I would say it's, it's pretty, pretty even in well, both of those. I, I still remember one night we were here working, doing something, and... Landon was creating the custom PCB on some software on the computer. Oh, yeah. So he was literally routing the traces and all this stuff, making a, a circuit board. And I left at like 12 a.m. And I came back the next morning at like 8 a.m. And he was still sitting there. Yeah. He stayed up all night creating this custom printed circuit board. I, I don't even remember why. I don't know if we had some 
uh, goal to hit. Uh, I just, no, it's funny because I was just so, I was more so just excited about having a custom board because we had yet to make our own custom hardware. We were using other development boards and everything, right? So like I did not want to leave until it was done because I wanted to put the order in. I wanted to assemble this board and just be able to say that Chaos Audio had a custom uh, designed set of electronics that they were using, right? So but not, o- not only is he a genius like that, but we're also young. So they come in, he orders them. He gets soldering paste from Home Depot, puts it on the board, yeah. uh, puts all the components on there, and then throws the it in our toaster oven. Yeah. Uh, which that's not how you do that. So it didn't even- <laughs> it, it did work. It actually did. I want to point that out. No, the first time we used a hot plate. We used a hot plate. We set the PCB on there with oh, some yeah, it was Home Depot soldering paste. Right? Yeah. And I want to point out that a lot of these components are like a sixteenth the size of a grain of rice. And we had to use tweezers. I had to use tweezers to put these components on there. But um, the hot plate, we set the board on the hot plate. Most of the components soldered down, but it wouldn't work. So I'm like, dang, I can't figure this out. I sat there for two hours. Yeah, I mean, I sat there for two hours. I couldn't figure it out. Sure enough, I'm like, you know what? Forget this. And I throw it in the toaster oven at like 350 (laughs) degrees. And I'm like, solder, right? And pull it out and it worked. So, yeah. So I swear it's it's a mix of, what's that saying? It's like when preparation and luck meet up at success yeah, or something yeah. like that i swear that's kind of yeah whatever it is yeah <laughs> i should have got some quotes ready for this we're on a podcast yeah, yeah. but yeah yeah <laughs> Guys, it's, it's been so kind of cool. crazy like that i have a question for you about the marketplace so are you going to leave it so that you know it's it's kind of open source in the sense that like other audio engineers can just create their own effects and sell them on your app store or is it going to be like you guys are going to be the only ones producing it I feel like there's a, first I want to clear up open source, right? So, so typically with open source. I'm sorry, source, there's an SDK. Yeah, yeah. So there would be, there would be a development platform available. That's what we're shooting for. So we kind of have to scale, you know, I, I think of it as ladder rungs, right? So the first ladder rung is getting the product out there and getting in people's hands, right? And then the next ladder rung would be the controller. And then the next one would be working with artists and companies. And then eventually we want to get to the point where we are working with um, you know, other users, right? Where we provide this development platform for them to go make their own effects algorithms and upload them to the store and charge for it. That's really the idealistic you know, Apple App Store, but for audio effects setup is when anybody can go on there and develop their own effects and put them on the store. And that's really what we're shooting for. Awesome, that's, that'd be so sweet. Guys, this is so exciting. I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to buy one of these as soon as we get off the call. Well, or thank at you, least thank go yeah, contribute to the Kickstarter fund. Our goal, man. Um, we're, we're terrified. We want to hit that, that $25,000 goal. Yeah. Um, and we think we will. It's just, it's scary. And you get in your own head, you know? Absolutely. So anybody listening to this, please, please, please go contribute to tinyurl.com slash chaos Kickstarter. Guys, we need, to, we need to make this happen. It's such a cool idea. If you're not a guitar player and you, and you don't understand, like, and you don't see the immediate appeal of this like look at how excited i am about this this is <laughs> this is so cool this is so cool um i really it's got to work i know you guys will make it happen and on top of that you guys are absolute hustlers it's it's crazy that you are soldering stuff in a toaster or a microwave <laughs> oven uh it's so sweet I'm, I'm inspired and excited at the same time uh guys where can people find you other than your kickstarter of course where can people find you and engage with you i know you mentioned an instagram account where else yeah, so uh, Chaos Audio on Instagram, um, no spaces. And then we also have our, our website, chaosaudio.com. And then if you'd like to reach out to us individually, uh, my email is Landon, L-A-N-D-O-N, at chaosaudio.com. And then Armis's is, uh, is Armis at chaosaudio.com, A-R-M-I-S. So, and I, I will add, uh, we do have a Facebook page. It's just Chaos Audio. Um, we're trying to get more content on the Facebook page. 
but we still do a good job of engaging with people that reach out to us on Facebook, yep. just through Facebook Business Manager. You know, we make sure we don't have notifications piling up. Uh, but yeah, Instagram, email. If you go on our website, there's a text list too. Mm -hmm. If you sign up for that text list, that goes straight to Landon and I. And uh, we reach out to people directly like that and try to talk to consumers, talk to people that are interested in the company. Yeah, it's, it's actually, you can text that number and we will respond personally. We don't have any audio auto text set up. Um, we were on a trip back from uh, Orlando and for six hours we were just texting people personally and asking them to go back to the Stratus on Kickstarter. So, um, but yeah, so all sorts of different ways to reach out. Um, yeah, I will add, not one of us has made a dime from this. Yeah. Uh, so like this is, you know, the real Kickstarter template. Like we're not taking any money home. Everything goes into the company and we just, you know, we want it to blow up and succeed. Awesome, guys. Again, everybody go to tinyurl.com slash chaos kickstarter. Make this happen. Uh, I'm so excited. Guys, thank you so much for your time today. And I, I wish you nothing but success. Yeah, thank thanks you for Max. having us, Max. This was we, awesome. Yeah, we appreciate it.